0: Praise the Lord. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles, or you can, we're going to look to the screen in just a moment. We're going to look at the book of Daniel today, and I had these things in my spirit for the last month, and I felt like I needed to get into Hezekiah first and talk about his battle with Sennacherib, and the Lord made it very clear that that was what he wanted to say when he wanted to say it. Amen? But I also had this other word in my spirit, and I want you to say it out loud with me. And it's, say, the fourth man man. in the fire. fire. I had this other word in my spirit, and these things were, they've been in my spirit because these are the things that God is saying in this season. There are seasons in God, aren't there? Praise the Lord. (laughs) There are seasons. God is in this season. Praise God. Isn't he in this season? Who's aware that he's in this season? And he is with you. You are not alone. I want you to say that to yourself. Let your mind hear your mouth say it, because it's coming from your spirit. I'm never alone. No matter where you are, in time or space, God is with you, and that's what this story is about. I want you to look with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 1. We just thank you, Lord. This is your word, and you just bring your word, Lord. I pray you speak, you preach your word that you pen down. In Jesus' name, amen. It says in Daniel 1, Verse 1, that during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, I want you to stop right there, because if you were with us for the last two weeks and we talked about Hezekiah, this was the very same city, Jerusalem, of Judah that Hezekiah prayed the enemy away from. But about 113-ish years uh Later, it was finally subdued, not by the Assyrian kingdom, but Babylon defeated Assyria. And then, like uh, forces have done since the beginning of time, they go out and they conquer. And the Lord's grace had come off of Israel and Judah because they refused to repent. Hezekiah repented, and then they went back into a big season of no repentance again. Right? Who knows your Bible history? So finally, here comes Babylon, and he takes them. The Bible says, verse 2, the Lord gave him victory. I want you to say that out loud because you need to hear that. The Lord allowed it. Everybody say, the Lord allowed it. Now, this was not a pretty scene, and I'm not going to make a big deal about that. But when Babylon came in and, and took over Jerusalem, I don't understand it. I don't understand how these things can happen, but I just put these. These are the times I take these thoughts and feelings about things. I don't. Who has times you don't understand? Right? Everybody, I've said it many times, right? Nobody knows who God is. Nobody prays to God. God's just a swear word, right? Everybody knows his name. They know how to use his name, but it's not in prayer, is it? All right. <laughs> yeah. But then all of a sudden, when, when things go bad and they're wrong, suddenly God exists, and he did this. Right? And so they say, How can God allow this? How can there be this type of evil in the world? Even though they refuse to acknowledge God or that they were living an evil life before that. So there are things we don't understand, and thank God for His grace that keeps us alive while we say stupid things like that. Amen. Thanks for the amen there. But I just take those things and put it on the shelf. I don't understand why this. Is allowed. I do because they refuse to repent, but this moment was not pretty. This was an awful, awful moment for Jerusalem, and, but God was in it. Everybody say, but God was in it. And I said before, this is something that just it, it, it makes my mind fry. In World War II, there was approximately 100 million, right? 100, is it 100 million or 180 million? People that died. I mean, it's just a massive amount of people. So many people all across the world. And all different little micro battles in one big giant battle. But out of that, do you know that Israel became a nation again because of World War II? We just can't, I mean, that just makes my mind just it starts start fusing. Because I'm like, all that cost, all that bloodshed. I'm not saying God did that because he didn't. He didn't do this. It's just that the Lord allowed it, right? God didn't tell Babylon. I mean, he does, but he didn't. He's, he's only responding to humanity. You guys get what I'm saying? And so humanity, there was corruption. There was evils in the earth. It was God allowed it. Praise God that there were righteous people in this nation and, and other nations that, right, aligned with us. And we conquered evil. It cost us tremendously, it cost the world tremendously, but we did conquer evil. Praise God that he was with us, with this nation, and then this nation actually had a season of tremendous blessing. When we came back home, right, the 50s is probably the best time in American history, right, of all the times, all the costs, and all the bloodshed that went through. It was this time of, right, We, it's like the boobop time, right? I mean, just peace and happiness And just, and, and, and come, and doesn't last because we're humans, but praise God, there was a cost, but God created the nation of Israel through it. That's just, anyway, I just, just some food for thought, just think about that, sometimes when we're going through crazy, dark stuff, and the world's going through crazy things, God has a plan. And sometimes I think we we don't realize that our life is not just the heart in this chest. It's not the the breath in these lungs. But your life is a spirit, and we think all oh, but all that death, all that cost. For nothing, you know, or how could their lives be less important than this, this Israel nation that God's going to establish because of it, and it's not, it has nothing to do with any of those things. You are spirit, you are not flesh, so if your body is taken, you have to realize you really didn't die, and I know this just goes like, this just, our mind is a really tough time. The, the, the human being Even though we are breathed and made in God's image, we're not animals, and I refuse to believe any type of blend of evolution and creation. I just refuse. I don't accept any of it, period. uh, God doesn't need extra time, I said last week, and he doesn't need help. Okay, He didn't need help of evolution to create us. With that said, I can recognize, because instead of a similar origin, of species, I can call it a similar creator, all right? Does that make sense? Sometimes we're like animals, not because we came from them, but because the same God made us both. And animals have this instinct inside of them, which is the survival to live, this, this will to live. Who's ever seen that, right? There's a, it's, it's incredible, incredible will to live in an animal, even greater than humans. But if you push a human. We were just talking about this story about these soccer players, right? Was it What was it, a Russian soccer player team? Yeah, rugby team, rather. And they crashed in the mountains, and they ended up eating their friends to survive. They lived. They lived. And it was a last resort, but the will to live will make you do crazy, crazy things. And so I think that that nature, even though we get saved, the Lord has to really break that thing inside of us because our desire and now and someone asked me well why do why do we have that and i said if we didn't have that instinct you would just run off cliffs like that instinct is god given because it's supposed to be there should be a fear of death because we're meant to live but that meant to live the devil can get in and try to get us to say things like yolo which is from the devil right you only live once Right? And then it's, it's really a demonic phrase because it means, so live it up. That's not God. We're meant to be heaven-bound, kingdom-bound, eternal-bound. And so because of that, we kind of cleave to this life, and we don't realize when crazy things happen, we're like, why did this happen? Why does God allow this? But we're, we have to see yourselves on a much greater, a much bigger picture than just this temporary time that you live in. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm going to bring that up again later on. So that's a preview for for the end of my sermon. But let's get to some exciting things here. The Lord gave him victory over Jehoiakim, verse 2 of Judah, and he permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. God allowed him to to pillage the temple. They end up burning it, destroying it. God allows all this. Um, But God's about to do something. Say, God is in The middle of it. See, even though we're like, man, you know, this nation, maybe you're thinking. Maybe you're like, man, why is America, why are so many things happening? Why why are we losing our heritage? We're losing everything that was so good about this nation. It seems like it's being ripped out of our hands. And we could ask all these questions. Every nation in the world could start to ask these questions. And I need you to hear something. God is still in the middle of it. Praise God. God's still in the middle of it, even though... If when they want evil, God allows evil for seasons, God's still in the middle of it. He doesn't just give up on his people. Praise God that he hasn't given up on us. And he hasn't given up on the prayers that our forefathers prayed and the blood they shed for this nation. Praise the Lord. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. And God allows all this. So the Lord allows it. It affected everyone, even the godly men of the story, in Daniel, it affected them too. Say, God's story affects me, right? So sometimes we're like, well, yeah, but, but we think as believers he's going to shield us from everything. And what we need to understand is that as believers... The Lord's grace and mercy is over us. His blood is over us. His angels are with us. I mean, I can just, I could tell you scripture after scripture after scripture encouraging you that God's with you. And that's really what I want you to hear in this story and in this sermon. I want you to leave today knowing you're not alone and God's with you. That is the core of what I'm saying. But sometimes we have a misconception of what that means. That means we think that we're going to float around Right, We're just going to just float right above the ground. We're never going to touch the ground that nothing ever is going to happen. And then when anything happens outside of what we think is okay, what we think is okay, suddenly we think, man, I missed it. This is the devil. I must be in sin, I didn't tithe this week, right? All of the, we come, up, we start trying to create all these answers and try to figure it out instead of just staying in the Lord's presence, continue to trust Him, and if some things are out of order, put them in order, but, but don't get so frustrated or don't get so stuck on every little detail thinking God suddenly abandoned us. Because every single story from Genesis all the way through to the end of the Bible, every single one came with ups and downs, valleys, and mountaintops, right? Tough times, good times. And we should be used to those things. Not that we're, we're okay when they come in every single way. We're not just like, okay, bring it on. I love this. But that we're like, okay, God, I trusted you before. I'm going to trust you now. You must be up to something I don't, I'm not aware of. Praise the Lord. Let me leave that there and keep moving here. Uh, there's a national story that God's always doing and an international story that God is always working, always the book of Revelation does have to be fulfilled. At some point, every nation will join together in one world of some sort. I don't, I'm not here to give you a Revelation teaching or lesson. It's not to show you the timelines of Revelation. I just want you to realize that at some point, Christianity will be illegal. That's coming. That's the Bible. You will eventually be sought out no matter what nation you're in. Maybe there's going to be safe havens. I don't know. But there, this time, these things have to happen. So you have to realize you are on an international, and, a, and we live in this nation, so a national story. So, you're in this thing, and sometimes you're pointing your finger at God like, Well, God, why are you allowing this in this time? And you're, I think we're asking kind of a, too much of a micro question. We need to ask a much bigger question. Okay, God, this might not be about me. You're not in the Truman Show. Every single thing is not about you. And yet, God cares about every detail in your life. Let me hear, I need to say that again because now you guys need to pay attention. God cares about every detail in your life. Just because every detail is not about you, God cares about every detail. He has your hairs numbered on your head. All right, if he's got the hairs of your head numbered and, and they're getting less for me, I just realized. I mean, I've already known it, but I'm realizing less and less. His number, the number's What Which number does God write down? Does he write down the end of your life or the beginning of your life? <laughs> I think it equals out because you actually gain hair like on your back. All right, so, so maybe it equals out. But the Lord cares about every detail. That's the point I want you to hear. He cares about every detail, but not every detail that's going on around you is about you. And so we're in this thing. You're in this cursed existence, but God is working it all together for a grand plan for Jesus to come riding in on that white horse one day. And that ha- there's a lot of things that have to set up. And you just happen to be in existence at the time of those things, whatever time that is. If you live during the dark ages, your personal relationship with the Lord could be just as fiery as ours can be, and it doesn't matter what time you're in, we can love him, we can know him, we can explore his word, they did, we did, and we can build the church and love our families and, and save the people in our lives around us, that's the same call no matter what time, but historically, nationally, internationally, things would have looked different in the world, and you couldn't judge God by what he was doing in that micro time for what he was going to do. Who knew that just just a short time later, they were going to break free, right, from their flat earth theories and fall off the earth theories, and they were going to go explore the whole earth, and God was going to use that to, to send the gospel into every nation in the world. Praise God. Praise the Lord. So we need to think a lot bigger. Everybody say, it's time to think bigger. Usually when people say that, it's about you getting rich. It's nothing to do with you. It's all to do with God. Praise the Lord. So verse 3 says, Then the king uh, ordered Aspenaz, uh, the chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family. You know, God knows what he's doing. I wonder, did, did, the, did Nebuchadnezzar know that who this royal family was, I don't think so. I don't think the devil knew. Jesus is about to come from Judah, praise the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know that, but God knows it. And God took the royal line and preserved it, praise the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that crazy? Now, all kinds of people, all kinds of families didn't make it. And we could say, well, God, how can you do that? How can you preserve them? And all these others didn't make it. And that's where we just have to take these things and we just put them on the shelf. Things, I'm, just, I'm, I'm posing some, harsh, some, some hard realities to comprehend on purpose so that we get used to not trying to figure every little thing out. Put it on the shelf and say, God, you're God. You know what you're doing. You, have, you gave me life. You're Lord over my life. Lead me. I don't know what that means. I don't know where it's going to take me. I just want to honor you with every breath I have. Isn't that amazing that we can just do that? So it says that he took them as captives, and he says, but he says, select only. So he had his own motives. God had his mo- motives. Isn't this funny? The enemy has his motives. God has his motives. God wanted who he wanted in position, but the enemy said, select strong. So he looked in the natural He said, select strong. I want healthy. Make sure they're good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, and they're gifted with knowledge and judgment and suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. So I want you to find these gifted men, and then I want you to fill them with information, with learning, with our language. I want you to use what they have, and I want you to put our stuff in them. Then it says, the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names, and you're going to know these names, Daniel. And then it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who knows your names? Come on, if you've, even if you went to Sunday school once in your life, You probably heard Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all kinds of tail, funny names for them. It says, God gave them, verse 17. He gave, oh, wow, I need to read this again. Verse 17 says, God gave. I want you to say that out loud. God gave. Now, historically, nationally, your nation just, come under, just came under siege by the enemy. Who can identify? Who feels like this nation's been taken over by an enemy? You're just, you're, sometimes we're looking at the things that are happening and they're doing, and it's like, I'm just, I'm, I literally feel like we've been besieged. This is not the America my forefathers paid a price for. And we're not gone. Praise God. He has not abandoned us. But I still feel like, and he's preserved many, but I still feel like we are besieged. And yet, my word says that even though the enemy had a plan, that God placed, God gave these young men an unusual aptitude for understanding. Now, do you think, you, could, you, can, you can think however you want, but let me just ask you to ask yourself, Did God give them these things suddenly? Did they suddenly go, I have wisdom and understanding? Because now they were picked, or were they born that way? You think that God just birthed them this way, this is just who they are? Or do you think suddenly that they, you know, just God just pops, you know, touches all their heads, boom, 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 and now they've suddenly got wisdom and understanding? There's no right answer here. Uh... But I think this, so whenever it's my opinion, I'll tell you my opinion. I think they were born that way. I think God knew ahead of time what was going to happen in your time. Come on, God knew ahead of time what was going to happen in your time. God knew what was going to happen in your life. God knew who was going to betray you, who was going to hurt you. God knew who was going to be president. God knew who wasn't going to be president. God knew what was going to happen in your life before you were born. And so God had you birthed with certain gifts and abilities. And see, I don't think it's just some people. I think just that some people actually activate it. I think that we all have gifts and abilities, and yet some use it to become a basketball star, and that's fine. God's not offended that they're playing the sport. It's just that they take all the glory for themselves, take all the riches of it for themselves, and then that's who they are. That's their identity. And then you see others who have been given those platforms use it as God ordained them to do, which was for him and to bring God glory. Amen. And so God gave each of you, I'm going to need you to hear this, you are in a worldly system. We are in this world. If you have breath in your lungs, you're in this world. If you're not breathing, then you're in eternity. But if you're breathing, you're in this world. And because of that, then we must then go to the word which says, okay, you are breathing, you're in this world, but you are not of this world. This is not who you are. And we have to realize that God gave us gifts and abilities just as he gave them He gave us and he has placed us in the place where we are. The workplaces, the families, the culture, the nation, the time in history on purpose. God knows who you are and puts you there on purpose. Doesn't matter if you were an accident in your parents' room. You were not an accident to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Doesn't matter how you got here. Doesn't matter what mistakes were made to get you here in the natural. God ordained for you to be here in this time with the gifts and abilities that are inside you for his purpose and for his glory. Amen. Amen. I'm excited saying that. Amen. I believe that. I'm not just just talking to fill space here. I believe that God has a plan and purpose for each and every one of us. I'll just make a quick side note because this is important. Sometimes God rescues us though, I will say, from a particular job or place in your life. So let me just say this. Sometimes people try to figure out what your gifts and abilities are by taking an exam on Facebook, right? That doesn't work, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. God took a stuttering Moses and made him speak to the greatest king at that time in history on the earth. All right, so God doesn't need your gifts and abilities. you hear what I'm saying? It's God-given gifts and abilities. So if you owned a strip club, God's probably going to change your occupation when you get saved. But maybe you had the ability to gather people together Right? And so God will use what's in you, but don't think just because whatever the position is that, okay, God's got me in this exact place right now. Those are all stepping stones. Those were all things that God used for you to, to, for your eyes to be open and gives you a testimony. All right? So I need to just make that note. That's a very, very important note, that just because the gifts and abilities are in you, don't think that it's you. You don't even know. There was no way that they would know that their wisdom and understanding was going to be used in the way it was used. There's no way they could have ever, ever anticipated and planned for and taken exams for Nebuchadnezzar to come and take them and place them in the highest positions, as we're about to see. Amen. So you just need to just be the person That God has made you to be, and you let God place you where he wants you. You don't need to try to figure out where that is. He will do it on its own. Who has found that you just let go? You trust the Lord. You love the Lord. You stay righteous. You stay uh, close to his people. You stay close to his word that God begins to shift, right? Who has seen shifts in your life? And God will place you where you need to be. You don't need to figure all that out. Amen. I just needed to that was an important note. I was gonna breeze past it for time, and I feel like I need to stop and make that point. So it says in verse 18 when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they entered the royal service. Verse 20 says, Whenever the king consulted them in any matter, matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. God didn't place you where you are in your jobs, your social circles, even your families to have opinions. God puts you where you are to bring wisdom into the situation, into conversation. God puts you there. As believers, we should be better than everyone else around us. Now, when people used to say that, it was like this pride thing. There's no pride in it, but we should be diligent, we should work hard, and we should stand out as those that excel and not those that complain or are lazy or etc. We should be diligent and we should be The best at whatever that thing is that we do now, like I said, unless the reason I use such an extreme example like a strip club is I'm trying to shock you to really get, you know, there is darkness and there is light. All right. Sometimes the Lord's going to rescue you from certain positions. Sometimes it's not so clear. I've heard of doctors becoming missionaries. It's not always as clear, but sometimes it's clear. Once you start searching out the Lord, you're going to find out. Wow, I'm going to have to make some major changes, and you're going to have to make them. All right, the Lord's not necessarily going to just place you in a pastor's role from that place. But you know, I got to quit this job. I got to sell this thing. I'm going to make some changes. All right. So sometimes you're going to have to just make some changes, and then the Lord will direct you from there. Does that make sense? Sometimes you're going to realize quickly you start searching the Lord. I got. I have to make these changes. I, I need to say that, but. But what you do, the place you're in, the position you're in, the jobs you're in, you should stand out as somebody special. Always. We're going to float below the radar as far as their culture goes, right? As far as their their belief systems, because that's not, that's not happening yet. We don't, they don't voice their opinion until the time is right, and we're going to look at that in a moment. That's not – you don't need to do those things. You – In order for you to have a testimony that they're about to have, they needed to stand out as excellent, as righteous. It's somebody different. This is somebody different. Our normal workforce is so lazy, but why does this person work so hard? And you're not like, oh, it's because Jesus gives me strength. I mean, you can say those things. That's fine that you can say those things, but before they're ever going to hear that out of your mouth, they need to see that there's a person that is diligent at what they do. Does that make sense? I just feel like this, these, some of these things need to be noted. I'm talking about the fourth man in the fire here, but I found that I just hit all these points I really needed to get to, that there's, a, there's some lead up before they get to the fire. These were excellent men. We need to be excellent men and women in Christ. We should be the, the ones that stand out in society. We should not be the rebels. It's not Christian to be a rebel. I disagree so strongly. People think that's Chris, Christianity. I just disagree. I am not a rebel. I can I could see maybe that people could even think that I'm a rebel because I'm kind of crazy sometimes, but I really am not a rebel. I don't like actually. I don't. Li- I like pushing the boundaries when when religion comes in, and when people start touching my Bible, that's when you're going to see me get a little aggressive, a little crazy. All right, but I I don't want to be. In, I don't need to be the guy at the front of every little protest. That's just not, I just don't know that we're all called to do that. I'm not saying that can never happen, but I don't see that that's, that that's our greatest call. I think our greatest call is to do the job that God's given you and be excellent at it. Just do what he's called you to do, and then there's going to be a time that he might need your voice to speak up, but now you have a platform and you have a place that people will respect you. And that's exactly what it was. The rulers of the, of the kingdoms of this region in the world respected these men. I think this is very important. So it says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 49, that at Daniel's request, because, because Daniel was, was kind of the number one guy in this group, he requests that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon. So here they are. God's allowing this tyrannical king and this godless nation to rule over his people. God allowed a tyrannical king and a godless nation to be over his people, but right in the highest realm of authority, God also placed his own people to steer the nation in the way he wanted. Do you guys see this? Nebuchadnezzar had his own gods. We're about to hear about a god. We don't know what he looked like. We don't know the exact shape or form. We just know it was 90 feet tall. We're about to see it. But he had his own gods. They had their own system, their own, their own uh, ideas of what the world should look like. And Babylon continued to conquer nations. They didn't stop conquering just because they conquered Judah. But right in the midst of this, God placed his people, it says, chapter 2, verse 49, in charge of all of the affairs of the province of Babylon. So right there in the midst of this. I wonder how many of us, now I'm saying us as a general term, let's just let's just say America because this is where we live. I'm not talking about the rest of the world and the United States of America. I wonder how many are meant to be right there, right in that position. And the devil came and messed some things up, caused some things to, so that those that were supposed to be in those positions are not there. At the same time, don't think, just because we don't know who is in the position, who are in those positions in the physical, because I'm going to talk about the spiritual in a moment, who are in those physical positions, in, in political positions, that God has placed there. And you have no idea what, the moment they're about to shine. You don't know yet. These guys don't shine yet. They're just excellent at what they do, at, which is running the nation. Simultaneously, everybody, I need you to say it out loud. I'm a spirit. We are a spiritual people. We are not physical. And this is what's amazing about the Bible. I can read you an an historical story, a historical story, about Babylon, about Nebuchadnezzar, about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. And we can look at it as history. And then I can apply my nation and say, well, this is what happened in this nation. This is my nation. Simultaneously, the Bible is spirit which means everything in here is a a metaphor for who I am in God and that every enemy is a symbol of our enemy, the devil, and his kingdom. And, And every righteous person is a symbol of those like us who have joined together with the Lord and gone and done what he's asked him to do. And so let me show you this as well. It does not matter what is going on in your personal life. It does not matter who is... Thinks that they are ruling over you. Does not matter who thinks they're pulling the strings in your situation. Does not matter who has made it clear that their throne is big and grand and great and you're never going to touch it. God has placed you simultaneously, silently, right there in the midst. He has given you power and authority as His people, as God's people. He has given you dominion and power and authority. To change and move this nation, your situation, your family, your workplace, just as they do. God's placed you there. God placed you in your family. I want to say it again, because maybe it needs to be said. Maybe it's for the podcast. Not to share your opinions. Not to be opinionated. God placed you in your family to be a person who is excellent, who stands out, but simultaneously, when it comes time for decisions to be made, you're a prayered-up person, and they know who to ask for real wisdom. They know who to come to in this situation. Come on, who's who's experienced that? Where you know they they make fun of you, they push you around, whatever your family, and then but then when it, when when it, when they're in the hospital, who do they call? Praise the Lord. Praise God. God knows what He's doing. Amen. We don't need to understand it all. We just need to just stay righteous, stay where we are. God will use you. Praise the Lord. So here's all the setup, because the finality of the story is, is, is pretty quick. I don't, really, I don't really need to make a big deal about it. I'm going to make some statements, but we don't need to spend the entire sermon. I feel like the setup was more important. Here they are, and... And, the, and all the setup is there. This is the position, is the place. But then suddenly something happens. In Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar sets up this statue. It's 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, and it's on the plain of Dura. This is in chapter 3. And it says, then he says in verse 4, all the, lang- all the nations, all the races, all the languages, when you hear the sound of the instruments, I want you to bow to the ground, and you're going to worship this statue. And verse 6 says, And anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, this is very interesting because Babylon literally means, in Hebrew, the word Babylon means confusion by mixture. Now, this is very interesting because Babylon, and it comes because Babylon was a multicultural and a multi-religion center. You could come into, this was a time in history where they were okay with you being a Hebrew and okay with you being another as long as you also bowed to their God. Wow. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It's okay if you're a believer. I don't care that you believe in Jesus, but you also have to agree with evolution. So we got to, then, then Christians are like, right, scrambling around to try to create like these other like fake stories like oh no we're okay we we believe you guys they try they people feel like they need to do that to reach the person in the scientific community instead of just telling them that what they believe is fake and telling them the truth and so they make compromise and the same thing happens in spiritual ways we're just like you right that bumper sticker right i'm i'm just a sinner like you but i've been saved by grace And as I said just recently, I'm not going to make a big deal about that again. It's true. Praise God. I was a sinner. I was saved by grace. But you should say, I was a sinner. I am not a sinner, and you are not a sinner. I was a sinner saved by grace. That old person, that man is dead, right? Praise God. I don't have any memories of that person, neither does the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that he says, I don't remember your sins anymore. We are not sinners saved by grace. We were sinners, saved by grace. And so they make these compromises, though, to try to, like, make the world feel like we're all the same. And then what happens is, why would the world ever need what you have if we're the same? And so that's the plan of the enemy, is just to mix it together. You know this is coming. That's why Babylon shows up again in Revelation. Isn't that funny? Here we are in Babylon. We're going to see it again in Revelation, and we know, as believers, I don't quite know what it's going to look like, but there's going to be a one-world religion. Who knows that term, one-world religion? You can believe whatever you want as long as you believe what we believe. That doesn't work like that, by the way. You can't believe whatever you want, but then believe what we believe. At some point, it's going to come to a head. Obviously, so far, they stood out as men who had, didn't have this particular Uh, They didn't have a struggle being leaders nationally, but now spiritually it's time to take a stand. So it says in verse 12, it says, uh, it says, but there are some believers. Come on, let's put ourselves in there. There's some believers that don't agree with what we say is right. They're not bowing to your gods. They refuse to serve your gods. They don't worship what you've set up. And verse 13 says the Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they were brought in, it says that he says to them, he says, you refuse to, to serve my gods. I'm going to give you another chance. But if you, ref- if you refuse, I'm going to throw you right into the, to the fire. And who can rescue you from my power? Verse 15 this is the moment where it becomes time to stand up. I, I, don't have the, I don't have the exact scenario in your life. I don't know what it looks like, but I don't believe, as I started to say during, throughout this sermon, that we are meant to make a big stink all the time. I don't think that as Christians we're meant to be loudmouths that are constantly trying to fight for all of our Christian rights. I don't. I think that we are supposed to be in the positions that God's placed us and there are moments in time, who has seen them, where it was much better just to be quiet and be respected and then there are moments in time where suddenly, just like a snake, you know the, the symbol, right? That You ever seen that military symbol? We used to have It's the don't tread on me. Because a snake is docile and calm. And it's basically, listen, I'm not going to bite you, but if you step on me, I'm going to come at you with so much force that you're not going to know what hit you. And I believe that's how the Lord has his believers. We're not really meant to be striking and fighting. It doesn't do anything, right? We've said it before. The guy's standing on the corners with signs. Do you think that people are like, you know, that's a good idea. I should repent of my sins. Maybe that's one of the sparks they needed. I don't know. Maybe that guy's called by the Lord. I don't know, but I don't think that many people have gotten saved that way. But I do think in your family, when somebody comes to you and says, you always have peace, and I'm going through a tough time, what is it? Now I'm ready. And there's a moment in time where the Lord has you coiled and ready to strike in the same way with life. Actually, there was a Christian scientist who said, because he was trying to make sense of, of, you know, we live in an evil, cursed, fallen world, and he it doesn't really matter if he was right or wrong, but he was trying to, just kind of break down some of the things in creation that God may have used for our good. And, and he said he kind of wonders if, if the snake that has a venom now, if in the original creation, if they carried like an anti-toxin or something, just like we go get shots, because they're attracted to heat, which is right where if you had a boil or if you had a sickness, that's exact, that would be the hottest place in your body. Just an interesting thought that maybe the snake was God originally designed it to come and give you some medicine. Doesn't matter if it's right or wrong, but I just thought, wow, that's kind of an interesting thought. And so the Lord has us posed and positioned, each of you are positioned for a place and a time. God's put you there. Don't think, man, what is all this? I thought my life would be this, and I thought it would be that, and in fact, some people might even think my life should, I thought it would be more spiritual. A lot of people left their jobs. We don't see that as much nowadays, but people used to like quit good jobs, and then to go become preachers and their life would, it never really was anything. Remember Michael? This is kind of an older thing. You don't really see that as much anymore, but um, now then the focus changed too much about the job. But the Lord put you in that, maybe the Lord had you have that job and be a pastor at the same time. Wow, imagine such a thing. Maybe just be a pastor on the job and in your free time that you think you had, but it's not really free time. It's not your time, but you thought that was your time. Praise the Lord. Wow, that's actually really good preaching to myself here. But the Lord has you placed in that position for his purpose. And we could get more into this, but let me, get, let me just say this. I'm going to just make some points here. We know the story. They don't bow, do they? Praise the Lord. The Bible says he heats up the fire seven times hotter. You need to know that the moment you take a stand for the Lord, don't be surprised that things get hotter before they get cooler. All right? We think, I took a stand for the Lord, and we think it's just going to be easy now. All right, You take a stand for the Lord, the enemy is going to become enraged. It says his face was distorted with rage. Who's ever seen that? Who's ever seen you bring up Jesus? Come on, you bring up Jesus, and there's a, that's how you know it's demonic. There's a distortion of rage in them. And so anyway, he has these strong men. Are we okay that we're like... A couple minutes over, because I think I want to go a little bit longer with this today, all right? If you need to leave, that's okay. But So the Bible says that he gets these strong men to grab them and take them in. Why did he need strong men? This is a very interesting thought. In fact, it's the same word we use for the giants. The Hebrew uses the gibor, which is these mighty, that you hear about the giants back in, in, in the early text. We're not going to get into all that, but this is an interesting thing. Why did he need these strong men? Was it just a show of force? Or did he, I think now Nebuchadnezzar is like, no one stands up to me. And this was him actually showing that he, you know, why did an entire army come and take Jesus? Jesus makes a note of that. Why did you send all these men just to take me? I, I, you know, do you need all these men? I think it's a thing that the enemy is afraid of you, tries to pretend like he's got the fire heated and like he's going to win, but he kind of is not sure. What's going to happen in this situation? Because he doesn't know everything like God, but he can see there's something to these men. The enemy can see there's something to you. He doesn't know who, who, you know, quite that you are in God's eyes and what your plan and purpose is. Doesn't Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know what's going to happen, but he knows. All right, these guys are standing up to me. There's something happening here. So he puts them in the fire, and the strong men are burned up. Praise the Lord. Here we, We're going to start to get to some exciting things now. Come on. Praise God. You make a stand. It's going to get hotter, but keep standing. Ephesians 6 says what? It says, come on, we all know it. The older translations, they say, it's actually just a play on words. It doesn't really say this because there's a period in between, but it's an amazing English play on words. It says, when you've done all to stand, then stand. Right? After doing all to stand, then stand. It's two separate thoughts, two separate sentences, but it's amazing you put that little piece together. Amen. Praise God. It's the point that the Lord has made clear to us. I've done all that you can to stand, and now guess what? you got no other choice. Now it's time to stand. You're here. This is the position that, that it, you got yourself in because I put these, it's my, I, my doing. I put these gifts in the buildings into you and, and you were dumb enough to be excellent with them. Come on, praise God. You get what I'm saying? I'm being silly, but right, because the Lord calls us, he anoints us, and then we're like, yeah, Lord, let's go for it. And we go running after the call that God has for us, right? And I've heard many times preachers say, if the Lord offered to you, told you what your life was going to look like back then, You know, a lot of you would have ran away. But anyway, here you are. You're in this position. you got no other choice but to stand now. That's where God's got you. You're going to have to stand. It's time in your life, in your situation. It's time. The enemy is going to try to heat up the fires. The enemy is going to try to show force. But he knows who you are. He knows. Come on. He's about to know that God is big and God is great. And he knows right now that something's about to happen but doesn't know what it's going to look like. And so you're going to have to stand. Praise God. Say, I am need to stand so they stand and the bible says that he tosses them into the fire and the bible says that nebuchadnezzar verse 24 suddenly everybody say suddenly suddenly nebuchadnezzar jumps up in amazement and exclaims to his advisors (laughs) come on guys this is amazing didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Praise the Lord. Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men, unbound, walking around in the fire, comma, that just killed my mightiest men. They're just walking around in it. And the fourth Looks like a God. Come on. Praise the Lord. Jesus is in the fire with you. Come on, I want you to say it out loud. Jesus is in my fire with me. I'm in this position. I'm in this life because God put me here and I could judge all kinds of outside things. Why this and why that and why this nation and why this time and why that family and why this thing that broke and this thing that hurt and so on. But instead, I'm going to just be strong in who I am, where I am as a eunuch, by the way. And I'm just going to love the Lord God and be faithful to him. And I'm going to let God use me. And guess what? God does when you do that. He's going to use you. Praise the Lord. And then it says, it says, he tells them, come out. They come out, it says, not even a hair of their head was singed. Their clothing wasn't scorched. And then he says, they, they proclaim he sent his angel to rescue us. And it says, the king, he says, that they defied the king, verse 28, and they were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. You know, sometimes we think, I'm not serving any other gods, but anytime you listen to a voice other than the word of God, anytime you compromise, you have bowed down to other gods, and we need to be those that are not, we'd rather die than serve or bow down to any other ideology, thought, or person, or principle, etc., that's outside of the word of God. And then he says, I make a decree He says, anybody who speaks a word against these guys, they will be torn limb from limb from limb. And he says, there's no other God who can rescue like this. And then he promotes them to even higher positions. God has a plan in your life. And at the very moment that God's about to do something miraculous in your life and promote you and use you for even more, you will be tried. At every level, in fact, I believe there is a fire in the level that you're at. We could get into this next week. We're probably going to talk about this, the purifying fire of the Lord, because it's for his purpose so that he has a vessel that trusts. They they are nothing left to trust but God, because this this is what they said. This is what's so amazing. Let's go back to their response now. All right, that's the story, but what was their response? The response was... I have it here somewhere. They said, if, verse 17, if we are thrown into the burning, the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, I want you to say it out loud with me. Even if he doesn't, do what I want in the time, in the way that I want. He said. They said, we make it clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship the goals that you have set up. God may not do it the way I want him to do, to bring the miracle, but I'm telling you right now, I serve a mighty God, and if anybody's able, it's him. He is able, and so if he doesn't do it, it wasn't a lack of faith, and it wasn't God not moving. It just didn't happen the way that we thought, but we're not gonna bow, praise the Lord, and that's the reason I'm gonna bring you to these very final points is this. I'm just gonna give you some thoughts. I'm gonna give you some thoughts. There was a man, his name's William Tyndale. Who knows William Tyndale? Anybody know that name? This was miraculous. The Lord just brought this name. It just had me see something so strange. I knew I was going to preach on this at some time in the future about going through the fire. The fourth man, Jesus, is always with us. That was my main point, right? He's with you. He's with you in the fire. Sometimes he go, we go around the fire. Praise God when he steers us around it. But most of the time, we got to go through it. But he's with us. Praise the Lord. Amen. That was the point of today's sermon. But I just happened to see this tiny little blip. William Tyndale burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English. So I'm going to prepare my sermon, and I'm like, William Tyndale, suddenly I just write like three lines to the sermon. I'm about to write all this text, you know, that I'm about to break this story down. and, And I was like, I need to look this guy up. I need to read this story. And so just very quickly, in the 1500s, translating the Bible into English was illegal. It was illegal. In fact, the only Bibles in English were in an old English that had already started going out. You think the Yees are old? This is even older. I looked at some of the texts. You, you just, it's just another language, and they had to handwrite it. And so, what happened is, is they put out this decree: if anybody even said, even if you teach your children the Lord's Prayer in English, parents were put to death for teaching the Lord's Prayer in English in England. Talk about a dark time in history. Well, William Tyndale, he, he was filled with faith, and he had this great desire. He would not let it go. It took him most of his life to do it. But with the invention of the printing press, he prints. He's, he is considered the father of the English Bible because he finally gets a Bible printed in English, and... What's, what happens is, is he stands up against the king of England simultaneously, Henry VIII, and says, this Bible, in English, it's clear, says you can't be just divorcing any time you want to divorce. He's di- trying to divorce his wife. First time a king's going to do it with the church's authority. He says you can't. So anyway, he's, he's finally betrayed. He actually hides for a long time in his life. He's finally betrayed. He's in prison. He's brought to trial and the her- what they brought him to trial for, the heresy was that he believed in the forgiveness of sins, the mercy offered in the gospel, that, it was, that the mercy of the gospel was enough for salvation, and he was accused of maintaining that faith justifies. And so he was martyred. He was strangled and burned at the stake. But when he died, this is, the whole, this is what I wanted you to hear. As he was dying, somebody penned down what he yelled out. He yelled out, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Well, guess what? He died. God did not save him from that fire as he did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But what I want you to hear, the reason that I'm bringing this up is because, and I felt compelled, I wrote this paragraph down before I even broke down Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was not spared from the physical fire. He did burn. But three years later, that same king of England, Henry VIII, made it a law that every church in England had to have, by law, the Bible printed in English. So let me just tell you this, don't assume that your struggle and opposition means you're doing something wrong don't think that all your standing for what's right is ever worthless and i need you to hear this just like they stated you need to be willing to die for what you believe if the lord saves you and gives you more time on the earth so be it but you need to be willing to die that's they died before they went into the fires you realize so did jesus before he went to the cross he already died once their will was i'm going to stand don't you may not see the fruit In its fullness, in your lifetime. You may not see the fruit of what your life did in this earth. But I promise you this. That you will eat, first of all, the fruit of the tree of life. At the very moment that you breathe your last. And whatever you do to bring the gospel into the lives of others is never wasted. It always... I want you to say this out loud with me. My life bringing the gospel into others always produces fruit. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Lord, we just thank you for this sermon. And I just thank you that you have anointed this word and you've placed it in our heart. I thank you, Lord. This is like gold today. This is a mighty, mighty word, a powerful word, Lord, that you've given. And I thank you, Lord. It is life within us. I pray that this seed grows into a tree of life within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you.